0: You better be listening to Sleazoids, or I must break you. My name is Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. It's not easy living the way I do. I have to be careful all the time.
1: I think as I get older, I get better.
0: I haven't been caught yet. We are proud to announce a truly outstanding rock opera film.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and along with our honorary sleazoids, which you can become by subscribing on
0: Patreon, we're taking revenge with our boy Clint Eastwood next week, so join the sleaze.
1: <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month which we have been doing for uh, over three years There's something like 90 plus bonus episodes as well as our yeah. bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films um, which are still coming out hopefully for the <laughs> foreseeable future um, so if you haven't made the jump yet patreon.com slash podcast recommend doing that uh, speaking of which we do have a bunch of people who made the jump this week uh, including a uh, Robbie Shane Gray, uh, Riley Pelling, who actually upped uh, his pledge from the 5 to the $10 a month, who's joining us now for the month, uh, virtual screenings we do monthly, Nice. Um, which we do live for people and for anyone who has been asking for it. We had a couple people asking for it. We now also record all of those live recordings for anyone who can't make them at the scheduled time, and we post them up uh, for the $10 patrons, too. So if, if you happen to miss one, you can still always go back and watch them. So thanks to Riley for, for doing that. And for showing up, Um, we also had Wesley O'Connor sign up, uh, John Brennan, and I think that's everyone for this week. So thanks so much to you guys. Hope you guys are uh, enjoying all those bonus episodes. Yeah, Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and I see the stats, I know that you are. I see you right now. (laughs) Scroll down to the very bottom, uh, give us a good old rating and review down there. It Helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners. And then the very last plug is merch. Uh, if you guys like the uh, poster art that local uh, based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the podcast, you can get that put on anything you want. Uh, you can get it put on a shirt, a hoodie, uh, a notebook, a pillow. You can just get a poster if you're uh, interested like Jamie and I have in our own places.
0: Looks great. Um, yeah,
1: there, if, if that interests you at all, there is a link in the description for that, or also at com. All right, I think, I think that's our intro, right? You're I did it, good yeah, welcome back, welcome back to another week. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Josh Lewis, joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome
0: back, everybody. Welcome back.
1: I think um, two weeks ago would have been the last time uh, you folks would have heard from us, and we would have had special guest, returning guest from the Struggle Session podcast, Leslie Lee, on to uh, talk about in... in. Uh uh, to, to time with the release of the sort of legacy sequel quasi remake. I haven't seen it yet, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> so I can't say, uh, to talk about the original Candyman from 1992, directed by Bernard Rosen with with um, Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen, which was a lot of fun breaking down um, with Leslie and how just absolutely gorgeous and sort of thoughtful and in terms of... Uh, uh, craft how beautiful that film is absolutely and then we paired it with uh tales from the hood from 1995 we kind of talked about uh 90s uh horror that took on sort of uh social commentary and uh you know very specific to the um black community in america and uh tales from the hood especially is crazy good and uh, (laughs) we made it i I think we made the case for it that it should be considered one of the best horror films of the 90s oh yeah and absolutely is one of the best uh anthology like horror short um films uh that i have that i've ever seen
0: yeah without a doubt one of my favorite anthologies of all time so highly recommend
1: yeah so if you didn't listen to that episode again uh any podcast listener of choice that was uh free episode two weeks ago and then last week we did uh the patrons they voted on uh you know they they vote on an episode uh once every two months and we we hit that episode once again and you guys voted for a uh t- tony scott double feature from the 90s of last boy scout from 1991 <laughs> and the fan from 1996 which is tony scott taking on two of the most absurd sort of quasi action thriller Comedy screenplays uh, that you know existed in the world at the time, and just <laughs> directed the absolute shit out of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The t- two of the most wild films, and uh, specifically with Last Boy Scout, and I mean this in a good way. One of the dumbest movies I've ever watched, and uh, once again, I mean that as a compliment. <laughs>
1: Yes, Tony Tony Scott, um, unbelievable filmmaker, and in the 90s, he was really on one, uh, You know, adapting Shane Black, and then also working with De Niro, and basically yeah. making a version of the King of Comedy, where D- the De Niro character is just very into baseball, and um, he likes stabbing baseball players uh, to the sounds of Nine Inch Nails, so if that sounds appealing to you at all, uh, The Fan, 1996, that was last week's bonus episode, go uh, listen to that. Yes. But this week, moving on, we have uh, a very special guest joining us. Many of uh, our listeners, I'm sure, are going to be familiar with him because he is an actor in uh, such films that you might have heard of, like Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, Jim Jarmusch's uh, Patterson, which was one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, I I think I put it on my top 10 of the uh, 2010s, and also... Uh, He is uh, in a film that you can watch that's out right now called It Takes Three, and that is Jared
2: Gilman. Jared, how you doing? I'm good. Hey, thank you for the intro. Uh, (laughs) Happy to be here. Um, Yeah, I'm excited uh, to talk about uh, the two movies that that we watched. Yeah, uh,
1: well, th- th- that's that's maybe where we should start because normally, obviously, we okay. have a guest pick the double feature, but um, you know, the, yeah, we, I like we, we, we were discussing a double feature <laughs> that you wanted to do, and and uh, we were kind of like uh, these movies were things Jared wanted to watch. That was the double feature this week.
2: <laughs> yeah, was just like yeah, I just because like I have a huge ass watch list on my IMDb, on my private IMDb, and it's like every time I do one of these, I always feel like I, I want to just like, it's like the perfect excuse to just like inch away at it. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. cause then at least I'm like watching something and then talking about it with people. So yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. Uh, no, well, well, what, what, what films are we talking about this week? So, uh, uh it was funny this whole process i sent you like a whole list and then you picked and i guess well you know you you, you did choose the, the films but
0: but they were going
1: my watch list um, that counts yeah he, he sent me a list of like 20 films and i was like okay how do i work out a pairing that these two worked and so the the connection between these two is hilarious because i started out with just well they're both one word titles and they're both the names of, of boys in the 70s i thought of another connection though i thought of another connection
2: though they're both yeah films about these these like troubled young men whose parents convince them of something that they either are or aren't. Yeah that's true. Like, these are these are both definitely
1: sort like quasi coming of age seventies films done yeah. in like a very specific kind of genre context and definitely both deal with abusive yeah. parents mm-hmm. or abusive yeah. families in in, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah those those two films are Tommy, Tommy and five, <laughs> uh, Ken Russell. I am very excited that we can talk about Ken Russell again. Cause we've, this is our, I think our fourth or fifth time talking about Ken Russell and, um,
2: He's you a know, wild I'd, man. I'd, he's a he. He's director. fucking crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad underrated. we're we're talking about him. But then we're also going to be talking about Martin 1977 mm-hmm. from George Romero. But yeah. Also, it's worth noting that despite the fact that those films kind of have a quasi connection, they could not be more stylistically
2: different yeah, films. Very different. <laughs> Extremely different. But but yeah. Both enjoyable. I mean, you know, both very good. I I thought they were both Definitely. Like great movies. I, I was uh, very cinematically satisfied by the, by the end of both films. Yeah. Um. Hell yeah! Well,
0: I'm excited <laughs> to
1: uh, jump into it. So let's let's yeah. start off here. We're going to do chronologically. I think we're going to start off with
2: Tommy.
0: Director Ken Russell and producer Robert Stigwood have made a film of Tommy and assembled some of the greatest names in music and the cinema. Tommy by The Who, and based on the rock opera by Peter Townsend, stars Anne Margaret, Oliver Reed,
1: Jack Nicholson, Elton John, Eric Clapton,
0: Tina Turner, Roger Daltrey as Tommy. Don't miss Tommy, the film. Your senses will never be the same again.
1: All right, we are talking about Tommy, the 1975 uh, British Uh, satirical fantasy drama rock (laughs) opera film. That's right. Written and directed uh, by Ken Russell and uh, based upon The Who's 1969 concept rock opera album, Tommy, about a uh, psychosomatically deaf, mute, and blind boy who becomes a pinball champion and (laughs) a uh, religious messiah in the UK. The UK seems like a crazy place.
0: Yeah, man, the LSD was um, strong confess. with them when they were coming up with this uh, concept. Good lord! Yeah,
1: well, and 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 it, worth noting again, this is directed by uh, Ken Russell, who's someone we've talked about on the show before. We've talked about the Devils, which is one of our Great probably film. our favorite films that we've talked about on the oh, yeah. show, and one of the most unhinged depictions of the Catholic Church's relationship to politics and violence and yeah. sexual oppression and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. But we we've also talked about. Altered States, which is like mm. an, it's very yeah. existential sci fi that has like freak out sequences that reminded yep. us a little bit of like Holy Mountain, a little bit of Cronenberg in there. Mm-hmm. And then we also talked about Crimes of Passion, which oh, is sort seen of, seen of like them, yeah. 80s erotic thriller taken to like these slasher extremes with Anthony Perkins in it. It reminded me something of like, um, I think Olivia was the pairing on that film, but it also reminded me of something like Dress to Kill a little bit, De Palma. Um, I always think about that scene in that film where Perkins like goes into. To the peep show and just starts like going fucking insane and the camera is just so <laughs> like it's so stylistically nuts and it was funny that it, that craziness of crimes of passion that he got to in kind of like the 80s that is more <laughs> what this kind of reminded me of in terms of the sort of like bombastic crazy uh like glam surface yeah. um of this movie but it's crazy because it came out like you know shortly after the devils honestly like this is like a mid 70s film and i was sitting here thinking more of sort of like ken russell's 80s even though you know i won't say that the devils was like a chill film by any means it's very <laughs> frenzied and and and
2: yeah and but it, it's, erratic it's in like, its own way <laughs> it doesn't if i'm remembering correctly yeah it's, it's like yeah you're right sorry yeah
1: <laughs> no, it, it, but it, you know, it's just like very interesting to see sort of like the progression of of Ken yeah. Russell, and also that apparently, according you know, according I don't you know, it's hard to tell how true half the information is on the internet about this stuff. Apparently, Ken Russell was not crazy about the music, which is crazy when you think about it. That, that he, you know, still he decided made a- to make it. I, an entire opera film where it's literally front to back, nothing but music. And you don't like the music. Like you would think that that would be troubling for you as a filmmaker. But apparently he was just obsessed with the actual story that they came up with this idea of sort of cults and messiahs and the industry around it and the way that they sort of exploit people and how he could take that to obviously some visual extremes. And, you know, he had a, a, a vision for how to achieve that story. And so he rewrote, uh, bits of the album to kind of fill in some of these sort of like plot blanks that he thought existed between the songs. And he worked with Townsend from The Who um, for basically like a year on this screenplay, trying to, you know, just get it to like kind of work perfectly. And also he changed the time period, obviously, because I think the songs are the first world war and this one was moved to the second world war. And so there's a couple things. And I think he did that just so that by the end of the film, he was in the seventies. He was in the modern day. He really wanted to right. to comment on the now a little bit in terms of you know, sort of you know, uh, religion and commercialization and cults and things of this nature. But uh, yeah, this movie's fucking crazy. Is the the high and low of it? I think. Yeah. Um, this was. I think this was all of our first time watching it. Um, And uh, I was just absolutely taken with how this movie is, uh, you know, basically two hours long. And it just moves like crazy from song to song, from set piece to set piece, Mm -hmm. mini little song shorts.
2: (laughs) Very little dead air. Just like, (laughs) but in like a good way, like in a very good way that just keeps you engaged and like, and, and, and consistently just sort of like. I don't know. Surprised by the direction, the story, you know, the scenes going, or just the the all the crazy sets and costumes and everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he, production he, design. He kind of puts the tone like in place mm-hmm. like right away with the uh, like that beautiful silhouetted sunrise that's happening with the man. Like it just automatically mm-hmm. gives this kind of fantastic and uh, surreal feeling that that pretty yeah, much goes entire, throughout the entire yeah, it's like he film. Opens,
2: and he opens and he closes the film. The sunrise, <coughs> right? Gee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Great way to bookend it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: But also well, just well, yeah, cause, cause by, by by the end too, you know, again, it, it's a very visually accomplished film, obviously, yeah. but also like by the by the end, like that that arc is like very clear of how yeah. the movie opens on kind of like this, you know, this real beautiful mountainside picnic where this the, there's these couple, you know, making love next to a waterfall <laughs> and they're about to, um, you know, obviously conceive of this kid Tommy and then the father goes, you know, to go, gets called to war and there's this mm-hmm. whole thing where like literally their, their love is interrupted by this war zone and their house is on fire and they're literally like running from their house into the yeah. The, like rubble and like there's like people <laughs> trying to put out the fire on their house and you know she's she's hearing um, uh, bombs being dropped while she's in like a bed that's also like a cage and the visual yeah. storytelling yeah. here is just insane as she like reaches mm-hmm. for the photo as he's shot down out of his plane and mm-hmm. she, they find out that you know he she's giving birth to Tommy meanwhile the father you know they basically, essentially think that he's dead and yeah. then it's moving on and Oliver Reed obviously from the devil shows up and he's fucking
0: singing, uh, yeah. <laughs> dude, in his introduction when, uh, well, I guess yeah. it's not his very first thing, but when he, he does, there's this sign because they're doing this like leg competition and lovely he just, mm-hmm. leg ladies. Yeah. Right, and he like, joins, it's like it pans and it's his legs and he hops yeah. out
2: and does like a little <laughs> thing to the camera. That was funny.
0: Yeah. It's such a funny introduction <laughs> to his character, especially knowing yeah. like now how really truly evil the character is. Uh, just to have yeah. this kind of like upbeat uh, and fun introduction, but also to just him. like
2: knowing that actor and the roles, the types of roles he usually plays, I feel yes. like he's usually very threatening, yeah, like imposing or just like yeah. You know, I, I always think of, the of Devils, him, and or in, in, I think in of in the this movie, movie. In this movie, he's just like he's also you know he's threatening, but he's fucking hilarious. Yeah, he's yeah. just like he just gives these like looks to the cat. He smiles, and it's the funniest thing. It's <laughs> just like. He was like great in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, I I
1: love a lot of the sort of like wide angle close ups they do of his face while he's like yeah. shining into the camera and like obviously, <laughs> you know, not known for his his singing skill I and mean, I know that yeah. the man was not super uh, pleased with the casting. <laughs>
0: but,
1: you know, it was kind of like the the original Russell Crowe and Les Mis moment where they kind of just chose yeah. him because of his 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 acting ability, and his look <laughs> over, you know, his his skill. His um, singing ability. But but honestly, yeah, I true. I still enjoyed Oliver Reed um, because honestly, he doesn't have to sing as much as you think and also you know he does look like this imposing kind of like evil uncle stepfather
2: yeah he has um, the physicality for it he he pulls the the physical performance off really well that the voice for me didn't it just made it it was funny like i just didn't you know like it didn't like detract from my like enjoyment of what i was watching it was just like oh yeah his singing's a bit weird but that's fine because he's a bit weird a character so it's like yeah, you know,
0: fits. I I did see him in certain points as kind of like unhinged. So having a, a, some of the vocals be a little bit off didn't uh, mm-hmm. like it. Didn't it? Didn't make me think that it wasn't kind of a part of the film and the music. Yeah, no. Overall. It felt
2: like it felt like that was you know it could be seen as intentional or you know there you know not 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 necessarily like a mistake. Right, yeah, definitely,
1: definitely part of the character and in in kind of a way, especially when he starts going like crazy and like he like kills (laughs) when they find out that the father has come back and he kills the father with 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 the with the lamp and he starts going, "What about the boy? He saw it all."
0: (laughs) I will say that I think some of the the vocal work in this is a little bit strained at times. I understand that they're not they don't have like the the production that we have now, and they didn't even want to do that Mm -hmm. back then. So and i'm I'm for that of course um it's just that there were a couple vocal takes i feel like they could have maybe taken a second or third take on and gotten some better tone uh but Mm -hmm. um but overall (laughs) most of the time when that happened i did think that it kind of suited the the character uh even though just in rare moments it was a little bit grating on the ears um but once again it kind of it does wrap up with the character a bit so it's it was hard for me to say. I was kind of battling myself a little bit through. Like well, yeah. Well, and, the- and also, it's
1: worth noting that obviously for this film, they re recorded the entire album which right. was something mm-hmm. that they initially didn't intend to do, but then they did it because they wanted it to match the visual material. So obviously some of the production in general is not the same that they did for the album. And they, they even rewrote some of the songs a tiny bit to make them work for the film and everything like mm-hmm. that. So a lot of this was kind of like rewritten and reproduced for the film and re-recorded obviously, because a lot of the actors themselves are singing it, even though, you know, both Daltrey and Townsend are on are, are singing in the film. I think Daltrey, from the who is um, singing all of Tommy's stuff yeah um, yeah. and then Townsend is doing all of the uh, the narration um, okay. you know uh, the, the, the sort of uh, disembodied uh, narr- vocal narration that comes through uh, in the film that's not being sung by like you know Frank or the mother <laughs> or Jack Nicholson right. or Tina Turner yeah. or you know various sort of cameo uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. actors that <laughs> and,
0: and musicians that show up um, throughout the film what are um, what are but uh, the thing th- I was gonna ask okay. what, are, what are some of your like just because t- we're ta- discussing the music uh, in general now like what are some of your favorite um uh, pieces? Because for me it's obvious like Pinball Wizard is is a given because Pinball Wizard fucking single crazy, yeah, yeah it's ama- and also, I'll, I'll, also yeah, it's yeah, one I I of the Pinball craziest sequences. like so. highlight yeah. Yeah. yeah and then also <laughs> uh, the Tina Turner Acid Queen is obviously that very song good. is sick yeah. yeah I will say yeah. though yeah. I found myself um. I wasn't in love with kind of the more musical I don't want to call it filler it's just it, it felt like uh, they had songs that were kind of more in their uh, rock sound that they're that they're used to and I know this is a rock mm-hmm. opera so they're they're kind of differentiating it a little bit but for me, some of the stuff that was just telling the story itself, like the plot heavy songs, I found them to be a little bit. Uh, repetitive and not as exciting as the other ones, like Pinball Wizard, Acid Queen. I think there's a couple others I'd have to list, list off. But what did you what did you guys think of the more musical aspect of it, rather than the rock and roll aspect of it for the music?
1: Um, honestly, I, I uh, in, enjoyed a lot of the music. Like, obviously, nice. there's highlights. Like, there's ones that yeah. stand out that are more, um, you know, sort of, in terms of both the production and the lyrics, like, more ambitious. Um, yeah. But uh, for for me, anything that was sort of, I was let down musically with, usually the visuals carried it over for me. Yeah. Or, so or at least thing. I I, I, saw, I saw, I saw like, what they were going for. And I the thing, it's hard to judge because what I would have to do is I'd have to listen to the album again I, to see exactly what did differences that they made because I'm curious what they changed so that it worked better as a visual musical thing where they were actually trying. Cause I know that a lot of the rewrites they did do were to sort of clarify plotting and character and stuff that he felt like the album didn't, um, you know, uh, cohesively sort of get to, but I, I, would say that, you know, like even stuff like, you know, just like, uh, Oliver Reed and the mother played by Anne Margaret, um, just like singing about how they are going to make the kid uh, basically like deaf and dumb and blind yeah, and, right. and and stuff like that, and how and, and you know even if musically it's not like the most impressive song, um, the actual sequence itself where. He, you know, where Oliver Reed is like taking him on the fair ride and he's like shooting down planes that have his dad on them. And there's just crazy lights and sparkles right. and tacky shirts and animation. And like it becomes this whole thing where there's like this black box on his head that spins and he's in like mm-hmm. fun house mirrors and, you know, his, uh, there's the, there's the psychedelic quality um, to it that carried it for me, even if, you know, the song wasn't the most interesting yeah. song. Because, yeah, you know, not every song on here is, a, you know, a, a huge hit. I think that's unfortunately yeah. a part of rock operas, is yeah, they have to tell stories. The um, and there's, you know, sometimes that's not necessarily the best for the creative freedom um, of the the album musically. I mean, some people obviously have done it incredibly, but it's just, you know. Um, it's tough. Yeah it's not the easiest thing and also I you know I wouldn't go to bad and say that this is like the best music or album I've ever heard that's for sure no.
2: right no yeah no I mean it's not that at all it just it's more the combination of the, you know what you were saying the combination of the music and the visuals and the story and the whole yeah. presentation of it all is what sort of makes it uh like if you take any element individually you probably could find issues and imperfections but because it's it's just it's presented in like just yeah yeah and, 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 and I, and I and like some of the and, and, yeah, and, and, I, and I, visually I engaging way it just it saves the whole thing and it makes it like a fucking awesome movie Yeah. Well, and I I also really
1: liked some of the, um, repetitive qualities that I think Jamie was talking about a little bit. Like some of the ones, like for example, um, where, you know, they, they find out that, you know, they actually did, you know, through the psychedelic sequence, actually fuck with Tommy's senses and they basically like destroyed him and he can't see and he can't hear. And yeah they kind of deal with the guilt of that because the reason they did it obviously was they wanted to cover up the murder that they committed, which by the way, is one of the big changes from the album to the movie Um, is that I think the father comes back and kills Frank but Ken Russell wanted this to be a little bit more of a darker thing where the parents are more culpable than on the album. So he, so he made it where Frank kills the father and the mother was actually more complicit in the killing as well.
0: Right. Um, Right.
1: So that, you know, there's a lot more guilt for the mother character when you get to her big sequence, but like the Mm -hmm. early sequences that are just straight up musical numbers, pretty much where, you know, where they're talking about how Tommy doesn't know what day it is or what Jesus is. So how can he be saved? And they're, you know, they're dealing with Mm -hmm. this contradiction of like, how are you you supposed to be part of the world and one with the world if you literally can't engage with it or sense it in any way? And there's a party. Yeah. There's this whole party happening around this kid who can't see or hear anything. And the mother's mm-hmm. going, and uh and Oliver Reed are both going, Tommy, can you hear me? Right. And you get these amazing things that come back throughout the rest of the film, which is like these sort of little interior Um, moments of Tommy reaching out to them and you just get uh, you just get Daltrey who obviously really impressive singer so it's really nice when when Tommy actually sings the songs I think some of those are the best songs definitely but the little bits where he's like feel me (laughs) touch me yeah. heal me and all of that stuff just kind of <laughs> happening and it's like a close-up on the mother and all of her guilt and she can just hear her son in her head and the way that the you know ken russell obviously mm-hmm. shoots that and, and then there's like images of like it zooming in and out on him while they're like honking trumpets in his face while oh that's happening yeah and stuff. it's so sad the way that he shoots <laughs> yeah. it too like like
2: at the ch- time it's track this- with the trumpets kind of and it's like really <laughs> weird <laughs>
0: Like half the time in this movie too, adultery is just staring into the camera. So whenever he's doing stuff like the touch me, feel me stuff, it makes it also seem like he's directly singing to you a lot of the time, mm-hmm. which just yes. gives this weird, surreal feeling of like you're a part of this crazy adventure. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and 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 then obviously too you know there's i think some people you know i think that some people think that obviously the the movie is a, a little bit too long and takes a couple detours but but for me i also found a lot of the detours just like really delightful like again you get tina turner trying to cure him with acid uh you get this amazing part where um they, they go to uh, Eric Clafton's rock and roll church <laughs> where uh, he has started a cult uh, about the
0: uh, basically in regards to Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) Yeah. And there, and there's like their Jesus statues of her doing the skirt thing with the wind. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. And there, and there's like shots of like the mirrored upskirt stuff and they're like kissing her feet. And then there's rack focus on the reflections of, of, of her on top of like Eric Clapton's guitar playing and stuff like that. Like really crazy, um, stuff yeah, that mm-hmm. they do where where, where, it, where it fits in where they you know Ken Russell has has made it be like okay so these are the attempts to you know try to cure him one they try to mm-hmm. do it with you know sort of like uh, they try to do it with acid that doesn't work then they take him to you know a, a cult where they where they try to heal him and then you know I I had heard this album before but I I had never picked up on it you know how literal I guess yeah. so much of it is meant to be <laughs> yeah um and <laughs> so watching it literalized in such a crazy style like this, I was like, it, it, it took me a while to come around and, and and realize that this whole cult thing was actually going to come back yeah. um, because of the kind of journey that it, that it takes you on. But again, some of the imagery that they, they came up with for this of like Tina Turner, like giant close ups of like her lips quivering while she's performing. And then yeah. she's like turning into like a, like a giant, like a, the, the, syringe filled with, like, mysterious red liquid yeah, that like then an turns Iron into maiden. an Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, it's so <laughs> wild.
0: It's so. And then wild. there's, like,
1: four Tina's and six Tina's dancing around, and she's, like, screaming, like, I'm the Gypsy Acid Queen <laughs> and
0: stuff Yeah, like that. and the rooms and the sets seem so, like... Like, they have that kind of uh, separation from reality a lot of the time, and a mm-hmm. lot of it is because of the camera angles that Russell tends to use. Like, it's always very um like like dutch angles and and weird uh lenses to make the room seem wider than it is and yeah and things like that like it, it just there's a constant surreal feeling to everything and and what i found like really impressive is how different every single set was and every single little uh, piece of music is with the like connecting with the visuals every scene mm-hmm. in this is is very different uh even when it comes to the like, uh, like what Russell's doing with the camera mm-hmm. it, it, on a technical yeah, level, there there's just so much going on here in every single yeah. scene.
1: Definitely. So definitely.
0: variety throughout. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, because, I mean, like, again, it, it it starts off,
1: you know, just, like, this sort of, like, wartime romance that then becomes this really twisted relationship with the mother and Oliver Reed, which then becomes them killing the father, uh, overloading the kid's senses so that they basically, you know, make him, you know, uh, unable to rat them out for the murder that they did. And then they try to, like, heal him, but they can't take him to, like, a real doctor because they don't want to say what happened, so they take him to all these crazy places. And then... It, it all turns out that he ends up wa- following a vision of himself to a junkyard where he finds a pinball machine and he, he becomes <laughs> the master of, uh, of, of, pinball. And then that was when the style of the movie clarified itself to me too. Yeah because you have the junkyard but then the junkyard as he starts playing pinball is lit up in all the neon crazy colors of the actual arcade machine that he's playing on and mm-hmm. then it's and then it jumps into he's immediately a superstar frank and his mother um both basically go oh holy shit we can monetize this our child is like a fucking prodigy at at pinball and then it goes right into yeah, and then it goes straight into Pinball Wizard where you have fucking Elton John in like Ooh.
0: 15 foot <laughs> yeah. tall
1: boots. Such a banger <laughs> of a scene. <laughs> yeah crazy. Well, and, and and all of the style just replicates like the shiny little pinball hitting all of these various shiny reflective surfaces and crazy lights and the, the actual sequence itself is basically the same thing but like on a stage and just Elton John just belting down at Daltrey who just can't see or hear anything so he just like he's staring into the dis- yeah. distance Elton John just looking down at him from his 20 foot boots screaming it's fucking crazy. And yeah. then all the different like spinning shots through the Stage, and the, you know, they actually have the Who as the backup band, like shredding their guitars and smashing shit. And yeah,
0: <laughs> in true yeah. Who form, which was very awesome yeah. to see.
1: Well, I, I, and too, we, we skipped over. Um, they try to, there's a, a, a really horrifying montage <laughs> where they, they try the parents are, you know, um, again, very abusive to him, so they just set him up with babysitters while they go out. Yeah. And there's a part where they set him up with like a with a, a a bully who there's just a montage of this dude just like uh you know like hanging him on the walls and beating the mm-hmm. shit out of him and then they have um who who's the uh, Keith Moon yeah. shows up um as Uncle Ernie <laughs> yeah. who is is like literally just like this child molester and yeah. they have like a whole sequence where that happens
2: <laughs> and, in, and talk about like sets, like that yellow house, room, hallway, all that was like very just like effective. <laughs> yeah. Weird and eerie. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: Very. Yeah. Very. Yeah. And 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 you have them, you know, the mothers singing about. Can I? Do you think that it's okay to leave him with this baby babysitter? <laughs> and Oliver Reed's just like, yeah, I think it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Do it. <laughs> I wouldn't think, think about the, it. the cousin. The cousins like got like this Nazi. Uh, iconography um on him he's putting spikes on the toilet seat um Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's uh the most sadistic psycho school bully that you've you've ever seen or maybe that's just again what living in the uk is like i've seen (laughs) those alan clark movies about british borstal schools so this just might be (laughs) what what living there is like um but yeah just really really crazy um stuff that it almost goes like full like horror movie mode with the lighting and everything as you know like this uncle is like molesting him and you think that would be just like a like a really weird detail to include but you gotta credit I mean you know both obviously you know for uh, you know having some of that stuff on the album but then also the way that Ken Russell circles that back and eventually brings back the child molesting uncle as someone yeah. who's part of the religious group mm-hmm. Yeah, because Ken Russell can't not get the Catholic Church involved he's just like <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, a, a church organization hiring a child molester to entertain all the children. That would never happen. <laughs> um,. And and yeah, so the, the, I I think that is what kind of ended up surprising me the most because again, the music is is really kind of goofy and insane, and Ken Russell matches it, you know, with a with a sense of uh, stylistic uh, bomb, bombastic quality that he definitely gets in on all the the flash and the shine of the surface glam of you know mi- adapting a rock opera that seems inherent to that, but I was surprised at how thematically seriously he actually takes the concerns of the album, which I mean, obviously Especially- Daltrey always talked about, you know, he, he, he described it as an attack on the hypocrisy of, of organized, um, religion. And, you know, I, I, think that in some cases the album kind of is that, but I've even heard criticism that, you know, that kind of stuff is kind of like underbaked in the actual album and that it's, you know, not as thoroughly explored, but yeah. Ken Russell, obviously knowing, you know, the kind of things that attracts him to material and him literally saying, I didn't make this because of the music, I made it because of the subject matter. Um, he really finds ways to make that subject matter hit hard and harder than you would expect. And, this- A- and use the overwhelming, overblown style to kind of get at, you know, how people are absorbed into, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of cult by that flash, by that surface.
0: Yeah, and I find it funny, too, that he's able to do this. He's able to convince you of kind of like the evils of the cult and all that while simultaneously having shots of of a half-naked Richard Daltrey running through a yellow-flowered field and then having (laughs) like all these green screens where he's running to like every country in the entire world cut to him hang-gliding and singing. The hang gliding, uh, oh singing—when uh,
1: when, when when mm-hmm. it, it cuts to the reveal <laughs> of him flying in and singing, <laughs> yeah. I laughed my
0: ass off. Lost it's my so shit. Funny. Lost my <laughs> shit. And somehow they still keep like this sincerity to all of this absolute insanity. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that I—I I really did click with. Um, even when, like I said earlier, like the the music wasn't working quite as much. That all of the visuals, all of the just insane ideas that he was somehow able to put forth and, and it works was just, uh, yeah. endlessly impressive. So like, yeah, it, to, to, balance those things is, is very difficult, I imagine. Uh, yeah. It, it, I think the movie, um, you know, if, if
1: we want to hit on a couple more, um, sequences before yeah. we get to kind of like the big, big finale, I think one of the, um, the absolute, Uh, greatest sequences um, in the film. And I don't even know that I would say it, like, it's not one of my favorite songs, but it's one of my favorite scenes actually in the film is... um uh, and Margaret when she finds out that she, she's watching him on TV basically oh, yeah. uh, he, he fucking kills Elton John <laughs> <laughs> by like exploding the fucking lights on the stage and everything like himself essentially and the mother's like getting drunk and watching and she's really proud that you know her son is this genius that's been born again and you know he's going to provide the whole family with wealth and fame but obviously there's this sort of like original sin quality to what her and you know the fact that this is only happening to him because of the pain that they inflicted their own um, mm-hmm. child with. And she's actually very kind of like up, upset that, you know, what what is is having all of this worth it? If my son, um, you know, can't see the, or hear the things that I'm 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 buying for him. And she said she basically like screams with guilt that she'd pay any money to drive this blight from her mind, not even to fix the thing that she's done, but to just not feel so terribly kind of like guilty over the whole thing. But then the things that she's watching on TV literally explode like into the white room, this lavish room that she's, uh, you know, uh, dancing around in. And that's also when the, um, uh, doll tree, Tommy see me feel me touch me heal me stuff starts coming back in <laughs> while she's screaming and like throwing the remote and the bubbles start leaking out of the tv which then yeah, becomes then beans that, like, coming the beans, out of the tv uh, and she's like rubbing them on herself yeah. herself there's like three minutes of this woman just rolling around in beans
0: <laughs> yeah it's it grosses me out a little <laughs> Oh yeah! yeah I was, mean, uh... they definitely really <laughs> had to burn that
1: room after there was no cleaning.
2: That oh, oh, oh the yeah. smell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that must have been a very memorable day on A couple days, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beans all over the white
1: room and the art and the, the the mirror and the bed and she's just like fucking rolling around in it, like fucking really, uh, really gross stuff. And apparently, uh, came from the fact that one of the Who's albums that was called the the Who sells out. And one of the uh, covers they came up with for that was uh, Daltrey with a can of Heinz beans,
0: like <laughs>
2: promoting
1: it. So they were like, for some reason, Heinz beans was considered like selling out or commercial. So that's why it comes through the TV. It's, so it's it's literally the, the the commercial qualities of of her wealth uh, coming through the TV and literally like drown- drowning her, beans. yeah, consuming her. Yeah, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson at one point shows up as a doctor. Uh, yeah.
2: that was, that was- <laughs> I was like when he first showed up I was like, Oh no, is he is he gonna have a voice? And then his voice wasn't like terrible. I was I shocked mean, it wasn't yeah, no, they, know. they 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 said
1: that they were um, that the, the Who was kind of annoyed having to work with Oliver Reed because I guess Oliver Reed didn't they they didn't know that he would struggle so hard to sing. I, I think they say they they like what they got out of him, but they said that it was <laughs> a lot of work. He had to yeah. do tons of takes I to bet. get a few scenes they got from him. <laughs> they said when so they were annoyed when Ken Russell also cast Jack Nicholson. They were like, and he shows up for like one actor? scene and he
2: sings perfectly okay.
1: Yeah, and then they actually came in and they basically did it in a take. They were like, yeah, Jack Nicholson can actually sing. They were fine.
0: Yeah, I was shocked because I've never heard his voice and I don't know if he's yeah, ever really either. recorded anything else. So, But yeah, he he can carry a tune. I was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised. hmm <laughs>
2: hmm hmm
0: um, but yeah, they, they basically, you know,
1: confirm what we've known this entire time, which is that, you know, there, there's nothing really physically wrong with, right, with yeah, Tommy. It's, yeah. it's, you know, a sort of mental and psychological state Psychosomatic. that his, his parents have have, have put him um, into. And um, eventually he he does get healed because the mother, like you know, confronts him in, in the mirror and like throws him through the mirror. And he has that (laughs) big awakening sequence where he's coming in on the hang glider (laughs) and he's (laughs) running he's, he's running through the, the oceans and the mountains and the skies and, you know, everything like that. Um, And he's been delivered um, from, from silent darkness uh, into the, the the brand new world where he has found enlightenment. Um, No more locked doors or stifled screams. I think he sings at one point. And what he has felt, what he has discovered, it's even bigger than pinball. Even bigger than pinball fever, which, you imagine? That, you know, which is the thing that that made him rich. But now he wants to be Christ. And he throws <laughs> away, you know, he throws away all of his mother's material things, her necklaces, her bracelets, her, her rings, and there's headlines, Tommy speaks, pinball <laughs> Jesus. And he's got photo shoots and mansions, and you know, he's he's the new um, Messiah that young girls go to his concerts I and love, they have photos plastered of him everywhere.
0: I love his poster because <laughs> he's like hugging himself and then he's got the halo above him and all that. Yes. <laughs> it's so just like like ego driven and it's 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 fantastic. And then the shot of the, the girl when it's showing like his fandom taking over, how she has a wallpaper that's just his face over and over and over yes. again. Oh yeah. It's just oh a really yeah. I was character. like, oh my
2: god, that whole sequence, that whole sequence with the little girl, I was like, where is this going? Where (laughs) Where is this going? Where is this going? And then the second... (laughs) Uh, that that uh Oliver just like kicks her in the face. I was like, oh okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And then and yeah,
1: then they of, have uh, of, uh, <laughs> adultery of all the places. I did not expect the sort of like glam rock gospel concert that she goes to, and you know it's obviously all about you know sort of like how music and 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 rock can kind of sort of like you know pick up the the sort of youth of of the day. Yeah. And all the little all the little girls are fucking going crazy and screaming, and she gets pulled out like bleeding. I did not expect that <sighs> sequence to end with her marrying. A rock and roll
0: oh, yeah. Stein and having his baby at the concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> definitely, definitely did not see that coming. I love. No. By the way, I love Daltrey's microphone. The fact that it's a crucifix that turns into a microphone as he's wearing yeah. it. Just, just these small little prop details in there too are fantastic. Well, yeah, on and, stage. and I the was say-
2: crucifix tea imagery. Yeah, yeah, I was going to
0: say, did, did you notice that it's literally
1: a T for Tommy with a yeah. pinball on top of it? Yeah,
2: that's like, yeah, that's <laughs> the, the humor of it. It's just like, it's using so these like <laughs> things, but also creating a religious imagery out of it. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well And then he starts rounding up like frustrated workers and, you know, people who are Mm -hmm. returning to crime and he starts, you know, trying to give them all a place place to live Uh, through through his uh, his uh, vibrating sensations is how he describes them. (laughs) Um, You'll you'll feel him coming. (laughs) <laughs> and he, he brings in milkmen and bakers and little old ladies, and he invites them all uh, into the house. And Oliver Reed's going, "There's more at the door. I can't contain them all." There's so many um, extras but- in
0: this too. Like the in yeah. the background, as he's going, like he's walking through the, uh, I think like the courtyard or the front yard of the house, and there's just so many people in the background, and it's just it just feels very uh, massive in scale and elaborate. It's it's great. So it's
2: like really used the hell out of. I, mean, I think I read five million dollar budget. I don't know how accurate that is, but like okay. I mean Yeah, the that, movie looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It looks <laughs> like it you know it looks like it has a lot of production value to it. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, yeah. They, they did some really great location work, but then they also built, yeah. um, you then, know, like the, the oh, some then, of the holiday camp stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that moment where, because early on in the film, when you're first introduced to Frank, they meet him on like a uh, like a vacation thing, right? And he basically says that he his dream is to like literally just start up like a camp. Like he loves the idea of everyone just like <laughs> hanging out and being a family. It's like the only sort of like redeeming quality he has is that he has this dream of this camp. Right. And when 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 yeah, he yeah. finally realizes that he's gonna <laughs> get to build Build that camp for Tommy because they need more space for the people. And Oliver <laughs> Reed just gives like the biggest smirk in the world. Yeah. And he's just like, he's going to get that fucking camp. And now there's going to be, you know, he's going to sell teas. He's going to sell vinyl. You know, he's going to, you know, they, they've started their own cult that's just like the Marilyn Monroe one where everyone went to, um, mm-hmm try and heal their relatives by touching the Marilyn Monroe statue that didn't work. And my favorite detail is that it's literally the same fucking people who go to the Marilyn Monroe cult and didn't (laughs) get healed. They're the ones showing Mm -hmm. up to the Tommy cult. Now this will work, who are all like waiting in line in the wheelchairs Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that's when you also get like uncle Ernie playing the piano for everyone. And you're like, no, why is the child like this? Like, uh, it's like his
2: uh, piano or whatever.
1: Yeah, and and this is (laughs) where like the the more satirical craziness comes into it because it's really sharp at this point where it's just like Mm -hmm. how easy the sort of like real traumatic experience that Tommy went through and his sort of like very real kind of uh, awakening that he had and how the industry and bad actors immediately formed around him to both exploit and commercialize all of those things that he experienced and try to sell them to other people. And just how obviously, like, obviously garish and cynical um, mm-hmm. that is. And obviously, how ab- ab- absurd. Um, it is and you know um, yeah. Russell handles that with all the garishness and absurdity of, of his actual <laughs> style while depicting that and as they're like selling posters and clothes and demanding enlightenment um, from him while they're all walking through a mountain of giant pinballs
0: <laughs>
2: and
1: yeah. he, he takes it like really fucking far and they at one point they all start rioting and breaking the pinball machines and everything Yeah, yeah. and they rise up and literally kill his mother and Frank and like stab yeah. and smash Bottles on them, casting away their false idols that are just the the parents of this pinball messiah. <laughs> <laughs> just to it's really crazy when you start to describe safe. it. Yeah, like I was oh, like, yeah. <laughs> what, oh, like, yeah. like <laughs> what are
0: you even describing? I've seen this movie. <laughs> it's just it's so absurd. It's it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and my my favorite aspect of that is when Tommy wakes up and, you know, all of his, you know, followers have thrown him away and literally killed his parents right in front of him. And, you know, he's trying to kind of like figure out what's just happening. Is that one
2: last, do you feel me, touch me? pretty sure that comes back right yep yep it definitely then, comes back but also
1: the visual of him just climbing out of the fake mountain of pinballs and back onto the real mountain where his parents like actually conceived him and he sees the waterfall and the sun rises in the same way it did on yeah. his dad in the opening shot and um, you know he he's singing this really powerful song where he's just like you know you know he's like I, I see the glory from you I get opinions from you I get the story uh, listening to you I get the music gazing at you I get the heat following you I climb the mountain I get excitement at your feet uh, is is what he's kind of singing over and over again as he kind of returns back to you know these this actual real natural thing that is like the opposite of you know this you know this very fake commercialized mm-hmm. uh you know cult that he's built up yeah. Um, and yeah it, it really like comes full circle with you know um, uh, everything that kind of came um, before it, and and he he returns back to you know this this actual you know this this real place where real love happened <laughs> <laughs> right. after all of that craziness mm-hmm. that he's been on, where you know his his parents then you know uh, uh, abused him and exploited him, and then you know he became you know the uh, this nineteen seventies uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ pinball, oh, pinball Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm <laughs>
0: That's yeah, what it should and, have and been all called that, right uh, there.
1: All of that, I think, uh, really, really works. And I think that Russell, again, um, you know, the way that he depicts that as this visual odyssey, that it's very dizzying and he sweeps you along and kind of takes you on, um, you know, the same kind of, Uh, journey that the people who get swept up and that kind of thing go on. I I realized later that, like, the whole middle section is just you getting swept up into the kind of bombastic commercial qualities, um, that, uh, you know, they they use to get the audience he gets in the first place. And Ken Mm -hmm. Russell even described it that that was an intentional thing that he wanted to do, that he was like, This is going to be my most commercial film, um, and it's about. You know, commercialism. And he was like, that's exactly why I wanted to do it.
2: And I mean, yeah, I think that's also why it works so well. is because it all, like, it's bombastic, but it's bombastic with, like, a point. It's, like, Mm -hmm. everything is, you know, it's taking a lot of things that seem very out of elements that seem disparate and combine, you know, it is very absurd, but, like, it's also the subject matter is absurd. It's the world that we live in, it's absurd. It's, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like just the, the nature of celebrity now, yeah. like, you know, like the way people blow up and, and get big, it's like, it might as well just be playing pinball, you know?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. If anything, yeah. nowadays yeah. I'd prefer pinball champions to be the celebrities. I think they deserve it. I'd be down for stuff. watching
2: insane pinball rounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. well, uh, pivoting towards a reductive rating round on on this one, I think, which for you, Jared, is where we remove all the words, all the nuance, and reduce the movie between a number between uh, one and five. This one gets a a, a solid four for me, I think, because... Yeah, same. um, Again, I, I think, you know, I... I'd have to listen to the album again, um, Mm -hmm. to, to be like a hundred percent certain. But like, I definitely have heard sort of like mixed things about, you know, how the album kind of realizes, um, its themes and that Townsend, you know, might've bit off a little bit more than they could have, um, you know, chewed and, you know, but, and, and I, I can see that there might be a fault with some of the music. But for me, Ken Russell just made me believe every second of the, ridiculousness and its goofier qualities and he just said fuck it like let's really go for it (laughs) and have to respect that that he he took this thing that he didn't even care for that much and genuinely turned it into like this pop art odyssey um, Mm kind of thing that might even realize the themes better Um, and you know revealing how easy it is to be absorbed by commercial surfaces and Mm -hmm. you know uh, with the style just getting so Um, inventive and psychedelic to the point of of exhaustion and just fanatically overblown and while also never losing sight of these, you know, very tough themes of, of, of abuse and religion and exploitation and commercialization (laughs) and, you know, replicating all of those experiences through, um, the style. And yeah, ultimately I was quite surprised. I, I, you know, I'd heard about this film and I had seen that it's not like one of Ken Russell's most beloved films by any means, but I was like surprised at how genuinely it explored through real opera. (laughs) (laughs) The experiences of, you know, uh, you know, uh, taking real, uh, suffering and, and exploiting it and commercializing it and how that relates to religion and everything. Um, and, and some of the details obviously that, that he included, um, throughout that and some of the ways he depicted through horror, almost, uh, the various ways that, you know, the, the parents mistreat the child and the way that the child gets turned into this, you know, this, this mythical celebrity image that people latch onto. It's, it's all
0: very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with, with all of that. For me, I guess I'm, I'm right now at that like extremely high three, uh, that just doesn't <laughs> quite break the four for me yet, but it really what it is, is it's the music for me. Uh, it's not that I dislike it mm-hmm. in any way. Uh, the hits are awesome. Like when it hits, I, I really enjoyed it. Like what, like I said, pinball wizard, acid queen are two ones that really stand out to me. Um, it's just some of the, the more musical numbers where they're doing more plot stuff that I just kind of, uh, I wouldn't say I, tur- I turned off because the visuals are just so impressive throughout the entire film. Like, uh, like Ken Russell really brings this uh, to, a, to a higher level uh, than I think it would be. Um, it's just that when a movie is a musical, uh, it's, it's really hard for me to, fully engaged if i'm not also fully engaged with the music but that being said Mm -hmm. i'm definitely going to revisit this um because i think i'm going to take to it better the second time just knowing all of its context and and what russell Mm -hmm. was doing um a couple things i just wanted to mention that i thought were interesting was that uh mick jagger was actually going to be the acid queen uh i think would have been a really interesting um take just vocally i think yeah. tina turner ended up being the better choice in a way but yeah I, think I like her good. more
2: but yeah it's yeah, it,
0: an interesting choice for sure and it's funny too because the i guess one of the reasons he didn't get it was because he insisted he wanted to have three of his own individual <laughs> songs so <Oops>. uh jagger's <laughs> ego got into in play there a little yeah. bit uh and apparently also Tiny Tim was set to play the Pinball Wizard, which got to Elton John. And I don't know if you guys have heard Tiny Tim's <laughs> voice, but he's famous. I have. Right? He's yeah, he's famous for the uh, what's that movie? I think it's the um, Insidious, where it's like that that ukulele song, and it's got the high pitch vocals. That's really creepy. That's Tiny Tim. So I just can't imagine him doing Pinball Wizard, but that would have been something to see. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. For, 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 I, for for some Tiny Tim like, it's at, like the at the movies experience, the people need to check out um,
1: <laughs> uh, Blood Harvest, nineteen eighty seven. Tiny Tim oh, plays <laughs> uh, just just plays a clown. That's wild. And uh, you he he plays the the biggest red head herring in cinematic history because it's a slasher horror film, and obviously you're like, okay, well the clown is doing it, right? <laughs> um, but I won't I won't spoil it. But
0: yeah, nice. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, one one more little fact just that I read that I thought was really funny before I wrap it up is that one of the reasons Elton John agreed to do the pinball wizard scene uh, was so that, or, or in order for him to do it, he got to keep the Dr. Martin boots that he wore because <laughs> that dude Hell just yeah. has such style. So, yeah, for now it's going to be a, a high three, but I really do think this could uh, this could get the upgrade on, on a rewatch because I love Ken Russell's direction in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unbelievably insane uh in the best possible way so yeah
1: yeah for for you jared i think you already said but uh, for yeah
0: like i kind of just comments yeah like i would say
2: for me i think i already rated it on letterbox so it's like a four for me uh just because i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it i was very captivated by the visuals i was uh i guess when it comes to musicals i'm i'm like it, I think it's. I'm at a certain point where I I never really. I, this might sound weird, but it's also <laughs> just my personal music taste. I never expect to like ever like the songs. I guess it, okay. like if that makes like I I I just like I I if I'm watching, I guess like a musical, I'm gonna watch like watch it as a movie and not think of it as like an album. I guess, but like yeah, if you're gonna, yeah. if I was gonna like think, you know. And sort of could, I guess, if that makes sense, because I guess I just, I don't know, like, for me, I guess it's, it's admittedly just a lot of musical songs are not my thing. Right. Uh, so, like, when I do watch them, it's, you know, I, I don't ever really think about my, my thoughts toward the music itself, but more like how I The whole feel package. With, the whole, yeah, gotcha. I guess. Gotcha. And so, like, I will say I like the music in Tommy. I like... Yeah. I still think it's. I, I I never actually listened to the album. I I am very behind on the Who, uh, on, on like in terms of you know the stuff that I, I haven't listened. I never I never really got into their music. No, for no real good reason other than it just never happened. Right. Um, and so like you know I, I was just also curious to see it just to hear their music, and I, I think you know I, I enjoyed it. I, I I you're right that there were the non-rock stuff. You know sticks out. Uh, compared to the, the rock stuff, but you know, it sounds like you know, it sounds like it's
0: a style they have less experience with, right? Yeah, um, for sure. You can but tell guess, when they're in their element, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, you can definitely tell when they're in their element. Yeah, um, but uh, it just I thought you know, Ken Russell just directed the hell out of it, edited <laughs> the hell out of it, just made it this like propulsive, electrifying, like journey and just consistently making you either like drop your jaw, laugh your ass off, or like,
0: <laughs> you know. Or just make you say make what you know, yeah, some, 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 like somehow this thing is like scary like, and
2: funny. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's just he's doing what he intends to do with his film to just like, you know, give make something that make that gives you a reaction. Like, you know, that that like sticks with you between like that like altered states the devils yeah oh yeah even the yeah, movie yeah, the, he the, the, did right after i think it was the film he did after i think i think it was either right after or right before or lit, Lit's, i'm gonna mispronounce the name lit Lit's to mania it's like I sort of a, it's like an anti-biopic because it's it's okay. like a got a composer but it's like yeah completely anachronistic and just totally crazy and gonzo uh and, and even more hyper like sexual
1: um, <laughs> awesome
2: and uh, it's just it's very over the top it's it's
1: like the, the, the tagline that on the poster <laughs> is it out tommy's tommy
0: yeah. <laughs> oh well i gotta <laughs>
2: watch that funny. yeah that's that's the next one yeah, i was i was watching tommy i was thinking of that movie a lot although i think i actually i'll admit i think i like tommy more maybe because on a dramatic level it just engaged me a bit more than listomania but like listomania is still a lot of fun and still very wacky and weird and worth watching sweet um it just doesn't have for me at least it didn't have the same like emotional pulls uh uh tommy but but still check it out
1: <laughs> definitely definitely yeah this is the one thing you can expect of a ken russell film it will be filled with visual detail and crazy editing choices and i remember uh i think dave Kerr was the one who described Tommy as somewhere uh, this was in the 70s he said stylistically it's somewhere between the apocalypse and Andy Warhol (laughs) so if that sounds um, interesting to you at all I can recommend checking out uh, Tommy but that's going to wrap it up for uh, Tommy here and we're going to be right back and we're going to be talking about Martin
2: Martin
0: another kind of terror I would like to be like everyone else I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. But I want to stay alive. I do need blood.
2: From the director of Night of the Living Dead.
0: Martin,
1: All right, we are back and we are talking uh Martin. The 1977 American uh, psychological horror film written and directed by George Romero, who I don't think we've talked about since we did. Um, We finished off our episodes on the... uh, the dead trilogy i think the last oh, time yeah. we talked about him was dawn of the dead and day of the dead but we've also covered obviously night of the living dead on the show we've also covered uh, the crazies and actually uh, recently uh, we included him on the bonus transmission because there's so little things coming out this year we're including his uh his the amusement park which recently oh, was i need to watch by, that uh, shutter which which that. rocks
0: yeah it's good. Like a-
1: it's 50 minute PSA on elder abuse that's just like shot as horrifyingly as one could and like oh, as God. you could expect. It's like a, it's like well, a that episode. I watched that, no, I
0: watched that today. Uh, today, today. Is I think the old man um that's in this is also in in that as well. Um the one okay, that, yeah. that takes the kid in um. Yeah. Not a kid. You know what? You're,
1: you're totally right that is the same guy i didn't even yeah. put that together until right now but yeah so the 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 old man who gets abused at the uh the the amusement park that that he goes to which is just so funny it's like all of the amusement park rides retrofitted to just like be uh, d- discriminatory against old people. They like steal all your jewelry before you get on rides. They, they, they do bumper, the bumper cars, cars. but uh-huh. but yeah, but if you, if the old person crashes into a young person, they go, why is this person even allowed on the, on, on the road? And like a, a cop actually comes and takes their license away and shit. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy stuff. So George Romero, again, always someone, who's uh, been interested in using genre as a means to kind of say something a little bit uh, more with the crazies. He was kind of talking about, you know, sort of uh, hysteria and military states. And with The Dead Truly, obviously, he covered everything from civil rights to the Vietnam era to police violence, consumerism, um, all kinds of different things that he, he tackled um, in that And then uh, here you get to see him doing something a little bit different because this was obviously um, before Dawn of the Dead and actually the first time that he worked with um, makeup artist Tom Savini. And you can tell that, you know, uh, this is uh, honestly, apparently, according to uh, him, this is his favorite film. Oh wow! Um, that he made because and 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 I think it, it's partially because it was kind of uh, personal and regional because it was mm. like you know in where he was living they shot it on like no money and uh, it, it, one of the things I think he was always interested in doing and I think he felt he did the strongest here was that he wanted to comment on genre. So for here, you see him kind of repurposing Mm -hmm. a horror myth, the idea of of vampires, this like classical thing that's existed since the earliest days of horror. Some of the, especially cinematic horror, you know, some of the earliest German expressionist stuff took a lot from those kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. And um, he wanted to move it into a very sort of like realistic contemporary um, class context and I think that he was um very successful here is what he had to say about uh Martin and I think why he felt a lot for it um he said Martin is designed um so uh th- that that he's kind of being unclear with his wording here, actually, but essentially that, um, you know, supernatural monsters are part of our literary tradition and cinematic tradition. Um, and they are in, according to him, they are, you know, expurgations of ourselves. They are, you know, something someone was inspired to do because of feelings that they had. They turned it into this mythical supernatural monster. Yeah. But, you know, so, so they, they are beasts we've created in order to exercise the monster from within us. And he goes on to basically say that, you know, the whole point of his movie, Martin, is you can't just slice off that part of yourself and then throw it away. And now it's this object that doesn't exist inside of you. It's a permanent part of who we are. And, you know, it's worth looking at ourselves and trying to understand it. So that was why he wanted to make a vampire movie that, as he saw it, didn't have magic, didn't have supernatural right. qualities to it. He wanted it to be this very lonely and depressing existence of a vampire, but just completely deromanticized. It's just and, nothing but, you know, mundanity and domesticity and the violence is fucking like that of like a, a street grit serial killer grindhouse film from like the late 70s or early 80s. Well, yeah, you know? the like way it's like.
0: The way that mm-hmm. he even you know consumes the blood is more of like a slasher element because he ends up <clears throat> sorry he ends up cutting the the victims before taking in the blood yeah. a lot of the time so it, it adds this you know we're used to uh, just them biting into the neck or something like mm-hmm. that but it, you know it kind of reminded me of uh, the yeah, hunger. No, he stabs oh, someone in the
2: neck with a stick
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it kind of <laughs> reminded me of the hunger when they take out the um, that like a lexer of life knife or whatever and then stab them before they consume the blood. It kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Um, And just the constant like uh, reminders that he puts in that there's really no magic involved in this. It's purely just an animalistic need to feed um, and, uh, like, you know, parts like when he shows the magic trick, uh, with the, with the, mm. the two <laughs> blades and when he eats garlic in front of the, the guy that's housing <laughs> him and just saying like, this isn't going to work. There's nothing else here. I am what I am. And the, you know, there, there's no bit of magic that's going to stop this. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. I really, I really I, like I, that. I
1: also like too that, you know, unlike something like the hunger, which is very stylized and still has that supernatural quality, this, right. um, removes that style and <laughs> <Yeah>. also <laughs> leaves it leaves it completely ambiguous, um, whether or not this dude is actually a vampire who's really 84 years yeah. old or whether his family sure. has just abused him into thinking that we because we do get those t-
0: like flashbacks but you're not sure if they're flashbacks yeah, they can or always more be visions insane. of what like the romantic vampire would be that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 exactly.
1: I think it's really important that, you know, he is experiencing these like very beautifully shot black and white memories of what would be a more traditional vampire film. Right. But you're, 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 you're left not knowing because he never actually does anything supernatural. He never grabs the fangs when he kills someone. It's not like this beautiful seduction kill. It's this very, you know, messy sequences where he's being called a freak rapist asshole. And he's basically just like a, a creep following women around and then serial killing them. Right. So it's like, it's this thing. And he does have in his mind, he has this desire to kill and, and, and to drink blood. And, but, but again, even the depiction, it's closer to Abel Ferreira. It's closer to right. the idea of it as drug addiction where he gets the shakes, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, yeah. not, it, it, it's always very unclear whether or not he actually has to do this stuff or whether he does it because, He's had people in his family his whole life since he was a kid saying, you're a cursed vampire. You want to drink blood. Like if Mm -hmm. that didn't happen, would he even have this desire in the first place? And that's something that Romero, I think, intentionally leaves um, ambiguous and obviously leads you to kind of feel a little bit of sympathy and a little bit of pity um, for the character while also never letting you forget that, you know, the dude is actually a rapist and, and a killer. I mean, I think that opening scene is very important where it's just, you know, it's this very mournful synth as he prepares to feed on this woman. But again, there's nothing beautiful or seductive no. about it. It's just I a mean, very brutal attack that's messy and real where she thinks that she's being mugged and, you know, and uh, he targets her with a sense of like procedure where he, he does it like a serial killer where like he, he's figured out how to not get caught, how to make it look like she, she slashed her own rape. And you know, and yeah, it's very, it's very creepy. And the way that that merges with all of like the sort of seventies Pittsburgh location work that they do, where it's like, you know, you get these beautiful black and white memories of or fantasies of him as a, a vampire running through a castle after a beautiful woman being chased by a, you know, a mob Mm -hmm. of religious fanatics. And then all of a sudden cut to, you know, him, you know, in those sort of like rot and poverty of, you know, this real world location where he's like killing housewives and homeless people and being chased by the police and stuff like that. It's very, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's definitely part of Romero's, I think overall point here.
0: Yeah, I also really like the way that he uh, sets the tone right away. The movie just opens like it just starts, and uh, mm-hmm. right away yeah, they're yeah. just on the train getting on board. And one of the first things that you hear is that the woman is, "Oh, you're traveling all alone," and just being <laughs> in a like you know that slasher sense. I think he understood what audiences probably knew was going to happen right away because the tone immediately mm-hmm. is something is wrong. This guy is off. He's stalking this woman. He's going. He's going to do something, and I just. So that, I, I think yeah. I really appreciated that. Just like, th- uh-huh. just right out of the gate, here's the tone. It's. It's. It's going to be sad. And it's going to be. your first and white shot too yeah yeah and i i thought the, that the that woman was a, smiling
2: and then and then you know he opens it and she was like who are you <laughs> yeah,
0: he, yeah i also the uh the whole thing where um he opens it up and sees her as this like beautiful girl like yeah you know, yeah that's and, what i mean that's right uh, right and then when when it's actually revealed she's not even in the room and she actually comes mm-hmm. out with like a face oh, right, mask yeah, on and all that so yeah. it like breaks his it's illusion completely,
2: of, yeah yeah
0: yeah, it's it's really good stuff. And then, and like, Josh, what you were saying, I love those shots uh, of the city, just, like, the, the overgrown weeds and the, uh, like, the, yeah. the barbed wires and, and all that. It's it's really great.
1: Yeah, I love the dirty streets and, like, the garbage underneath the bridges and, like, the train tracks that he walks on. It, 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 it's, like, the opposite of glam or heightened <laughs> yes. uh, of anything that we were just talking about. Right? Mm-hmm. It's very real. Yeah. Junkyards and beat up cars and shoes on the power lines and a man dressed like Colonel Sanders taking him into his house.
0: (laughs) Like the the color scheme of of the last film was just every color you could possibly imagine, whereas this one is purely just like black, brown, gray, just just earth tones. The occasional red. Yeah, 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 the occasional red, of course, yep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I think he originally wanted to shoot the whole thing in black and white.
0: Right, I do um, I, I, yeah.
1: I, I, I do kind of like that they ended up um, making it this very sort of like mundane color palette instead of yeah. the, the the black and white is reserved for the visions. I actually do think that that really works. That was a Me better too. choice.
0: Yep, I agree
1: and and i, I love too because again so that this the, he this character martin who is established in the opening scene is a rapist and a murderer yeah, yeah. Um, which is something that Romero like obviously wanted to hit off right off the start because eventually you are gonna feel pity and, and sympathy for this character but he wanted to go like look monsters are a real thing and maybe the first vampire was literally just a rapist and a murderer who people mythologized and made into a romantic thing maybe that right. happened um mm-hmm. and so that's kind of part of what he's getting at here too but then also how how... How then that myth has then fed back into the way that obviously we tell these stories and how, you know, his his older cousin here. Uh, which is very funny because obviously Martin looks like a young uh, you know he, he looks like a like a young boy he's but he's supposed, he's supposed to be 84 supposed to be yeah he's supposed to be 84 years old he <laughs> so he's like the same age as
2: the cousin basically yeah that's why
1: it's his cousin yeah um, is this elderly man yeah but I love the, the performance from this man who you know is um, you know very much treating him like he is this old world like he's in a different mm-hmm. movie like he's in Dracula he's yeah. almost doing that um that Anthony Hopkins' uh, role in the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula, where he's like Nosferatu, yeah, vampire. Yeah,
2: he's just like <laughs> very uh, one. Yeah.
1: I will destroy you.
2: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah he actually like agree- like takes
1: him in as family member in in an attempt mm-hmm. to you know not have him kill people and to also perhaps sort of like cure him but he also wants to know that he thinks that he's very dangerous and that you know if you if you start killing people in the city and i hear about it um i will destroy you without salvation
0: (laughs) what a threat (laughs) yeah yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's badass Mm -hmm. and I, i i love the match cutting between um the the um cousin trying to fuck with him and like the, the mob trying to get the vampire yeah. and you know, him pulling out the garlic and the crosses and him eating the garlic and, you know, basically showing, you know, like there, there's no, there's no magic here. Everyone knows this, like a, 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 except for you, there's no real magic ever. And it's almost very disappointing, um, right to the, <laughs> to the cousin character, because honestly, if you think about it, like that's scarier, yeah. It's scarier that there's not like this sort of like magical supernatural reason that there's horror yeah. in the world that it might just be a guy it's also who like, just wants to kill people it's also yeah. like
0: when you have established rules for for these beasts like you know the the wolf man if mm-hmm. you get him with a silver bullet he dies that kind of stuff there, there's a there's yeah. an easing of the mind that that brings because you know that there's some type of out in some way um and with this he's th- just slowly yeah. showing him how the only way you're really gonna be able to kill me is to legitimately kill me not none of these magic tricks um so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure
1: definitely um like the way that um you know the that sort of contrast kind of defines the entire tension and, and drama of of the film as you're kind mm-hmm. of watching martin you're watching him in these domestic scenes and you kind of feel bad for him because you're kind of like yeah this cousin just thinks that this dude's a monster and you know maybe maybe he yeah it's, is it's partially like, a monster because
2: everyone tells mm-hmm. him he is <laughs> yeah it, it's this weird tug of war that you play where, where you just it's like he it's, it's like you're, you're right. Like, in, in a sense, you do feel bad for him, but then, like, you know, I always you just remember the opening scene and what, <laughs> yes. what else has he done that you, you haven't seen in this movie? And then you, you're like, well, maybe the cousin might be justified in his behavior. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then again, you know, you're right. I was sort of taking the movie when I was watching it a little more, I guess, literally. So I thought I was taking those black and white sequences to be, to be flashbacks, but I guess Me you're too. right there. They don't necessarily have to be like flashbacks. They could just be that's Just his, you know, what he's thinking about in his head. It's like a in a false memory or just delusion or whatever that that he, he has about himself. Or maybe even yeah, like, well, well, the, the way the way that I looked at born it, born and raised in in this environment where he's been constantly told this thing about himself, and so then he just like mm-hmm. he knows nothing else. Literally, so he might as you know, it's like he has. He's forced into believing it. And Hmm. so
1: yeah well and, yeah. and that's where the genre and style commentary kind of comes in with it because like those sequences are so shot like a classic vampire story yeah and it's like that would be if someone were to invent fake memories of them from you know hundreds of years ago or something like that or like you know 80 years ago or whatever um, you know they of course they would look like a traditional vampire movie because that's how he that's what he's seen in the movies yeah, and he right. even goes on the radio show and he's talking like it's never happens, oh, like, yeah, how the it happens in something. the movies even right. admits that he's seen those movies <laughs> and everything, right? So like it's yeah. like it's one of those things where George Romero I think was really smart because you can watch it, and you can say, you know what, those it's totally possible those are flashbacks and that he's a vampire and that vampire imagery has just been kind of overblown through pop culture and this is what they were kind of actually like. That's a way to view the movie, or you yeah. are left with the, the more sort of concerning yeah. and, and yeah. troubling. Uh, element, which is that you know he was just told over and over again, "Our family is cursed. You're a monster," and mm-hmm. he developed these cravings uh, yeah, to you know suit the story that he was being yeah. told. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it it becomes really troubling where you watch these domestic sequences where you know they they basically play out in the way that Romero shoots them. They play out like these kind of like abuse sequences, and then you watch him go out into the streets to actually you know make sense. He's like, well, the only reason my abuse would make sense to me, honestly, sort of similar to Tommy, he comes up with kind of like a reason for it. Uh, for him, it's you know this sort of like uh, this this pinball Jesus enlightenment. For Tommy, it's <laughs> like, well this would only make sense if I actually am a vampire who needs to go out and get blood and and do things. So he goes out into the night and he stalks women and he eventually, you know, again too, I like that Romero very strategically doesn't shoot them like how any other sequence in a vampire movie would be done. Again, there's nothing sort of... um, seductive about, you know, him uh, reaching over the woman and exposing her neck while he goes to take a bite. It's like this right. sequence where he he plots to kill this housewife, goes to her house, mm-hmm. find out that she actually has, uh you know, sort of, she's having an affair and has someone home while her husband is gone. And, it's and it so turns messy. into just like this this messy cat and mouse absurd sequence of him like stabbing him with the needles and the guy's big enough that he needs to actually inject him
2: twice because yeah but then like the 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 woman's like freaking out because they can't call the cops because the guy's not supposed to be there
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it's so farcical almost
2: yeah (laughs) no i was like laughing the whole time i was like is this you know it was like it just became so like uh, awkward and, and but it yeah. felt like it, real because like that's probably how it would go you know something like that you know yeah
0: I like, found where, it to where be- no one
2: is hitting no one's like people are throwing punches or are just like trying to get to other people but they just miss or they're just not strong enough and then everyone's just like freaking out and no one knows what to do and people are forgetting what number to call and like <laughs> you're, you know people's brains are not working because they're just freaking out because they just Crazy guy in the house trying <laughs> yep. to stab yeah. us with a needle. Yeah,
1: like,
0: I, I, I love the confusion spike. of like, what yeah. did he
1: eject me with?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then. What the fuck? <laughs> I think that that shift from focus, because we've been so hyper-focused on Martin the whole time, and for Romero to actually give these people a little bit of mm-hmm. screen time and, and like con- genuine concern, and it makes sense in yeah. the context of their lives, was just very interesting, and it really surprised me. It also helped <laughs> the whole scene in its entirety because it it takes a lot longer than I thought the scene was going to take because he injects him the first time, and then he ends up like yeah. chasing him throughout the house, and the house is yeah, very maze-like. Like there's a lot of small yeah. rooms and small mm-hmm. hallways and stuff like that so the way that he films it um is is almost like confusing in a way i think on yeah. purposely. yeah um, no it's extremely effective
2: yeah it's extremely like disorienting
0: effective. kind of like how they're feeling at, at the time a little bit um mm-hmm. but it's just amazing how many times like he hides and then comes back out <laughs> to do another stabbing and then comes back yeah. out to steal the girl that kind of thing yeah. it's it, it made me wonder of a version of dracula that's like a comedy but he's not he
1: good at his like, job he, he's like <laughs> he's just, stumbling around yeah. and he's missing well his i mean real there's it, like, it, yeah. didn't <laughs> mel
2: brooks didn't mel brooks do like dracula dead and Living it i've never seen that i, I never seen seen saw it either from mel brooks Well, no hold on i'll look it up real quick okay dracula isn't Dra- i'm pretty sure dracula dead and Living
0: it yeah because i'd be interested yeah, yeah it was to like mel brooks is like it
2: might have been his like last directed movie Mm. yeah it was okay. literally mel brooks's last movie is a comedy called dracula dead and living it's starring leslie nielsen as dracula <laughs> nice i love that. and mel brooks is playing professor van helsing i've never seen it i've never seen it that's interesting uh, it's rated pg-13 for comedic sensuality and gore I imagine with well, I'm
1: imagine i I'm going to have to check that I out. Love, because I it love has 90s... Leslie Nielsen like yeah. doing uh, physical gag set pieces where he's like
2: <laughs> trying it's, to it's, it's, kill people know, and not... he can't. <laughs> so I, I have no I idea if that's it. the gag. I have no idea if that's the joke or not. But imagining <laughs> Leslie Nielsen as Dracula, it's probably going to be at least one of the jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 I like too that even though again this is sort of like farcically kind of messy, it's still ultimately just kind of like very sad. Oh yeah, when mm-hmm. he goes up to the woman yeah. and he's like, you know, I don't have to hurt you now because now I have blood from I got this, the other. other guy who... Yeah, I got I got the other guy, and you know, he shoves the stick into his neck and starts mm-hmm. drinking his blood, and he has visions of the of the girl that he that he might have killed in his memory or fantasy, and the lynch mob coming uh after him and then he, yeah. that's when he starts calling into the radio show and talking about you know yeah I've seen the movies and you know people trying to catch your kind and you know things like they they call him the count he calls yeah. into like a disc jockey where everyone is like hey we got the count on the line yeah. He's in here and he he's talking about how he wants to go out into the night and kill someone around town and you know they're they're very chill about it actually yeah. considering that you know he's not uh you know lying
2: yeah yeah no because um, I think they're just I think he's like joking I think it just it seems like they think it's just he's doing a bit, and he just is like, I don't know. That's the the interpret. That's the vibe I got from, from watching. Well, uh, yeah, the he, I mean,
1: it, it definitely plays like they don't <laughs> think that he could go in there and start fucking just eating the the. Uh, yeah, and then the I love the credits. I love
2: the ending credits that you hear the audio from like the next. I don't know from the following like record you know, radio shows where the guy's just like, "Where is the cat? Where is the cat?" Everyone's been asking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we got to know. One of my favorite um, elements of that is when the one guy says, "Like, I think my friend is the count. So it kind of like <laughs> continues the mythology yeah. a little bit. But yeah. we can get to the end. Yeah. We're going to tell later. the story of the mm-hmm. count now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Someone else is going to think he's the count. Right. And he's exactly. going to start killing people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a joke. I, I, I love all over again. How he calls into this radio show, and it's actually meant—it's like the only time he's like genuine. It's the only time yeah. he's like, mm-hmm. uh, like actually. It's almost like he's calling in for like therapy. Yeah, yeah. Really, like depressing uh, lines in there where he's just like, you know, most people care about dying, but for a long time, I've wished that someone would come along and 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 kill me. <laughs> yeah and you're like damn that's a very uh brutal way to um be living and then he's also talking about you know how he's just kind of like this lonely young boy and he's never really you know been romantic or had sex with a woman outside of um when they're corpse essentially <laughs> so movies should stop um, making uh, uh, <laughs>
0: vampires get pussy so much
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's uh it, it's very uh you know once again it's it's very pitiable but also very you know like genuinely um sad at the same time watching him call into like a radio show for therapy just like this yeah. dude who thinks he's a vampire <laughs> yeah And then they, Mm -hmm. they have at one point call in like the priest who believes in the old mystical rites, And they even name drop the exorcist. They were like, yeah, have you guys seen the exorcist? I thought that was a good movie. They call in the guy who thinks he's the real exorcist guy to try and like get the, the demon out of him or whatever. And there's Mm -hmm. the shot of him having the, um, the the fantasies and, and and memories while the guy's going, he commands you tremble in fear. While like the the, the uncle has like the cross candles, um, going and 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 stuff like that. Um, but this all leads to eventually he's making deliveries for his cousin's um, butcher shop, and he meets this uh, lonely, depressed housewife named Abby. And uh, she eventually, you know, she's she's very clearly, um, you know. Um, you know not in a relationship anymore and she's you know obviously very isolated and you know they kind of he finds someone who kind of feels some of the same same things that he's feeling right um and he's like holy shit i actually relate to a human woman and i don't <laughs> want to um drink her blood and he actually like has sex with this woman and shares an emotional bond with her although she's sexiness, he, she,
0: <laughs> so like yeah it's just, funny and uh, sad yeah
1: Like when it just cuts to them laying on top
0: of each other. Yeah.
1: Yes. (laughs) And and, and then she's crying and he's like, Mm -hmm. did I do something wrong? He's like, I knew I should have worn a condom.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Very,
1: um, very wonderfully, um, smooth in yeah. his, uh, in his operating with, with, with women. But I, I love that this line that she gets towards him that I think is like really sad, which is that, you know, um, she says that she can't have kids, that something's wrong inside right. me. And that line really like sits with him there because again, obviously he's having yeah. this very internal struggle at the same time too. Obviously it's being expressed kind of differently, but he's mm-hmm. found someone who feels like there's something wrong with them.
0: Right. Right.
1: um, And yeah, that leads to some craziness that, you know, comes back obviously near the end. But before then there's this whole set piece, there's this whole subplot where like Tom Savini shows up as the cousin's granddaughter's husband. (laughs) And, uh, this this woman uh Christina who is the granddaughter is like someone who's constantly trying to push the cousin on the fact that, you know, like the magic isn't real and, you know, you should stop treating Martin like a freak and, you know, she ends up kind of like leaving the cousin because of all of that. But, you know, because he's not killing people anymore and because he's having sex with this woman, the, his his shakes are starting to come back. Yeah. He's calling into the radio show saying, you know, I'm getting hungry. I have to do something. Like something's wrong. And he starts uh, you know, letting he, he he has a hard time actually like picking a victim or something like yeah. that. Like, you know, I, I don't I don't have quite the same desire. Like I I now have a real human relationship. I see these people as people and he's been letting them go while wandering, you know, like the various Pittsburgh cities and alleys and bridges and you know, yeah. all of these uh various things that he's uh doing. Speaking. But eventually he goes driller killer style and just bluntly murders yeah. some homeless dudes really yeah. brutally.
0: Yeah. Speaking, and then and gets speaking of, and, shoot and speaking of the like the violence itself, the way that he you know takes down people, he does even mention um, the fact that it was it became much easier after he started using the needles, which I just enjoyed like the the implication that before he had to really really struggle, and then I think it kind of mm-hmm. ties in with when he starts to look at all these people, like he can't decide who he wants. There there's something. Uh, some, something extra now inside him that's telling him to kind of stop doing what he's doing a little bit um, mm-hmm. and I just found it interesting mm-hmm. that he throughout the film implies also that before the needles he had to you know physically take these people down um, and yeah. he, he kind of yeah, took well, a we, more coward eventually we out. see him
1: do right right because right. with the homeless guy he like beats mm-hmm. that dude with like yeah. a pipe or something right right yeah right. so it's like hinting at what he was doing before the needle
0: yeah yeah. And then you finally yeah, see that kind of violence unleash and yeah, it's pr- it's pretty brutal.
1: Well, yeah. And, 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 and again, how sort of like chaotic and, and messy that yeah. situation is where he kills this homeless dude. And then he breaks into the store to change his clothes because he didn't actually bring up, bring a change of clothes. He didn't follow his proper procedure. He actually mm-hmm. acted out of more out of this sort of like desperation that he mm-hmm. feels he should have. And then, um, yeah, then the, the police actually start like hunting him down and he runs through like these various uh, sort of like drug dens and things like that and alleys. And, and he cops start shooting basically... all
0: the drug dealers or the homeless yeah, he, people right, he, or he, whatever. He, he, he
1: starts like a fucking gunfight yeah. um, in there between <laughs> sort of like these cops and these criminals. And it turns into, like, a crime movie alley chase. Yeah. And there's, like... Uh, a cop gets There's pinned. cars shattering. There's, like, dudes getting headshot, legs being blown yeah. out. Like, Romero makes it as disgusting as possible. And then that sequence ends on just nothing but the car horn, the police siren, and, like, corpses everywhere yeah. while he's, like, walking around. It's mm-hmm. really... It's really, really brutal. And the worst part is, is that he's doing this and he's not comforting, you know, this new girlfriend that he has, Abby. And because he's not doing that, by the time he goes back and visits her, she's killed herself. And she's killed herself using the razor blade in the same way that he made other, you know, he made other women look like they've committed suicide. But he didn't do it. She actually did just commit suicide, which is obviously for the being the only person that he's related to emotionally in this film. It's a very depressing sight. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the first things he says is, I didn't do this, that kind of thing. Yeah. So just to realize it's like, yep. I didn't even enact this violence, but it still, you know, it, it still impacted me in a way because this was the only person I really had any type of connection with. So that, yeah, there's a, a really deep sadness uh, to, that, yeah. to that scene.
1: Yeah, and the yeah the, the the I didn't do it. I really didn't do it. Like he, he's trying to like convince everyone and himself uh, essentially because it just looks so much like the the opening scene. Right. Yeah. It's um, like he might as well just, just that he committed plant a
2: false memory and said that he did do. It. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then we get. Uh, you know, as he's very once again lonely and walking around town, we get a cut to him in bed being yeah. woken up by. Uh, uh, I heard about Miss Santini. Yeah. Your soul is damned, Nosferatu. You do you think <laughs> that I? You think that I? Uh, I believe that you didn't do that. <laughs> and bam, that zoom out from his face. <laughs> to the yeah. wooden stake sitting on his chest oh, to man. the cut to the wide yeah. shot of just that yep. hammer just going in gushing blood. blood. Yeah. Tom Baby. The first time I saw that I was like, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, man. It is wild. Yeah, it's, it's fucking so crazy. early. But like, yeah, it's
2: uh, uh, I just lost. It. I say, I but... Oh, yeah. yeah no, just that... said the whole oh, that whole like ending just like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is like a weird Comment, but like, just like made me think of like doing like a shitty run of like a choose your own adventure type of game or whatever. And like, that's the ending you get. If you like <laughs> fucked everything up, and you just like catch, wake up in bed and your cousin stabs you with a stick.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's like, there's absolutely, it feels as if there's no hope by the end of yeah. this movie. Like, it, it's truly just a, a guy that was struggling with an incredibly deep seated problem uh, that. Saw nothing but torment. Any connection he made, you know, they they killed themselves or passed on. Maybe he killed them. Uh, the the one piece of family he seems to have ends up stabbing him in the heart with a stake. Like it's just, it's, it's endless, uh, sadness and, and anger and <laughs> violence. And yeah. Well, it, yeah. It, and,
1: and, and my, my favorite part of the stabbing is that it's once again, it's in the style that Romero is doing. It's completely sudden and de-romanticized. Like it's right, not, yes. it's, 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 it's not, not like up. the stuff in Dracula, from the francis ford coppola dracula which right. in my opinion is like one of the most romantically stylized version of that story <laughs> yeah. um oh yeah like it, 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 it it's not like the bit where you know she's like uh you know the the one woman's come back to life in the beautiful casket and they like decapitate her and even like and the they blood flow. flowing it has like a has like a poetry to it yeah. right? and Like yeah. this is, this is like this once is again polar opposite <laughs> yeah. You're left with the ambiguity of was this guy ever actually a vampire? Yeah. Because a, a wooden stake to the heart would also kill a normal person.
2: Yeah, that is true, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> so, so it, 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 you're, you're you're just like, oh, so did this man just fucking delude himself into thinking that? this dude was a vampire convinced the kid. He was a vampire to horrible effect. And then in order to feel better about it. And also, you know, I, I think part of the reason this is layered into it is because it's also done mistakenly. He's actually doing it for the one person in the movie. He didn't kill.
0: <laughs> so, so, so,
1: again, it, it, it's, it's a yeah. continuation of this story that he's convinced himself that he then yeah. starts staking him in the heart. And again, it's all done in one wide Image of this dude just very realistically shoving a hammering a wooden stake into this dude's heart and the blood going everywhere. And yeah, really like, you know, you're, you're left with a very, um, uneasy feeling, um, about it because of how sudden it is and because of how ambiguous it is and how realistic, um, it is for a movie about what's supposed to be a, you know, a young vampire or a kid who thinks he's a vampire. And then, so yeah, either way, very, very crazy. And then yeah, the credits go over and it's like the disc jockey being like, what happened to the count? And it's the, it's the older cousin, um, burying, burying him and, and putting the small crucifix, uh, at, atop his grave and everything like he that. He will not and rise yeah, again. I, yeah. No. Yeah. and and, so. and you're just left to, to sit there in the filth yeah. and just kind of think about it. So thank you, um, George Romero. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Rest in peace, George Romero. He's just so good at breaking hearts and minds, and any hope. Yeah. (laughs) It's like he was uh, like with Night of the Living Dead. It's the same kind of thing. He just he just has these endings that are just such uh, sudden gut punches. Um, mm. And uh, oh yeah, yeah that, that dude's yeah. corpse
1: being added to the pile after he gets shot down by the <laughs> right. after surviving the zombie mm-hmm. apocalypse,
0: crazy. Yeah. yeah, just just wild <laughs> stuff. Like George, mm-hmm. George was a was a mad dog, man. Awesome stuff. Yeah, man. yeah. I mean, I still, I, there's
2: still a few of his ones that I need to get to. I think some like less, lesser yeah.
0: popular ones. Me too.
2: I'm really glad you guys made me watch Martin. I really enjoyed that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. Martin Martin was one of the ones that really um, surprised me when I when I first um, watched it because oh I, yeah, this is I hadn't, was right I, I hadn't heard about talked Dead. about as much.
2: Crazy. Yeah, right, right, right before He did Don of the Dead. Yep. Right after Martin. It's funny, I mean, You can yeah. definitely see like some you know similarity, like you know a tunnel, somewhat you know the grant like the sort of like I guess grounded feel. And the yeah. less like, cinematic, you know, the, the sort of less cinematic quality or whatever. But I, I, I feel like, and then, you know, they, they both have, like, their funny moments or awkward moments,
0: but. Yeah. This just one has, I you think, know, more, like, awkward than anything else. But some of that yeah. awkwardness leads into a bit of, of humor. Like, I do find yeah. the chaos like, of guess- the, uh, that house scene with with the guy that's. Yeah, lines, I'm. Think, I, mean, I guess I'm mainly
2: just thinking about like the house, the the disc jockey stuff, and like the right, right. Some of the some of like the the cousin's performance, you know, the just yeah. like so when he his like introduction and like his it was, like in the first half, I feel like it was like you know a uh, uh, a slight jolt, but like you know a good one, right? Because he's just like engaging and and fun to watch even though it's like the implications mm. of what's happening is very dark and sad and, and, <laughs> yes. and horrifying, but like just, you know, the, the, the scenes themselves were, I was like, for whatever reason, just like, laughing am not laughing, but like, I don't know. Just,
1: just, well, I'll, I'll, also just incredible to see what he could do on like basically no money.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Because like that, because, because like, like that's it, the thing is Dawn of the dead at the time was like one of his biggest budgets that he had received. And there's some really incredible, like, uh, style to it sometimes like obviously it still has that you know grounded in, in realism one and social commentary kind of aspect yeah. but like you know there's there's some really impeccable like um camera composition and mm-hmm. stuff like that and and, and, and effects you know makeup great. effects yeah.
2: Oh yeah. And the with Yeah. Obviously. But
0: yeah. But, so but which Definitely also, good. yeah,
1: which is the only reason it happened was because of Martin, because he met Tom Savini making Martin and then Tom right. Savini did all of the makeup for Dawn of the dead. He's like, here's right. what you can do with money. This was what yeah. Tom Savini did with no money. Yeah, yeah. Wild. So it's, it's really crazy. And, and also it's, it's, You know, I don't. Again, it's hard to tell how true sometimes some of this stuff is. But apparently, the budget is listed as two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But apparently, it actually only cost one hundred thousand dollars. And they told, they asked him to say that it cost two hundred (laughs) fifty thousand dollars because they, they, the studio, the 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 people funding, didn't want to let people know that they would, um, that they could make a movie for like that cheap or something like that. (laughs) They wanted.
2: Wow, that's hilarious! It's funny on IMDb. I'm just looking at that right now. It says eighty thousand. Wow, oh, or even yeah. eighty thousand. See, these stories is, are different. But like, although still. then again, you know, inflation uh, probably brings it to like a few. I don't know, like a few million, maybe. I I don't know inflation math. I'm totally guessing.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm <laughs> not sure, but that is still probably wildly cheap for what we get. So or maybe I think you can Google it.
2: There's like a calculator, uh, inflation. Calculator. What was it 1977? Seventy. So, yeah. So that's
1: about 450 thousand now.
2: Okay. So not even, not
1: even half. A not million. even half
0: a mil. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's killer.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and, 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 that, and that you can get something that's as rich with, you know, commentary both on, on the class and also on the, the genre and also, you know, just a really cool little character study and also ah, really mm-hmm. gross and filthy. And like the fact <laughs> that you get all of that uh, is why Romero was um, one of the best. Oh yeah. But yeah, uh pivoting towards reductive rating round. This one gets a gets a high for um for me, I I think. I, I really do I I think th- the first time I um definitely, you know, I was more used to something like Day of the Dead, which is something that's so like front that's, to back in your face. Yeah, it takes, lot more, takes like more of its cinematic. time, I think. But on on Rewatch Martin is, you know, absolutely I think one of my favorite um Romero's ah. and I think it's it's a huge Sorry. part because of everything that he you know wanted to say about this idea of you know these stories we tell about supernatural monsters are actually really just about our ourselves and he really wanted you to feel that you know that kind of um uneasiness and anxiety Mm -hmm. about that and he crafted an entire film that just completely de-romanticized um vampires front to back and just sat you in the ickiness of it and i think you know it's it's very squirm inducingly messy at times Times, when it comes to the murder sequences and also it's very um humanizing mm-hmm. by stripping him of all of this romantic lore and, and myth and dropping him into a real filthy world where he's just kind of this overt serial killing uh creep uh yeah. you know you you end up kind of who's who's also you know partially you know coded as a little bit of a of, of a drug addict and you know mm-hmm. other things like you you end up and obviously a, a victim, too, of possible familial abuse and everything. I think that you end up with a lot of conflicting feelings about this, despite the fact that, you know, Romero never lets you, um, you know... Uh, not see that this dude is also a rapist and a murderer so it's uncomfortable and and distressing but i think in very valuable ways that actually says something about you know um both the the about the mythology of vampires and the horror genre and um you know real violence that real people do so got to give credit to romero on all those fronts i think
0: yeah, yeah i i would uh also give it the four i thought this was uh this was great this is the first time that i saw this uh i wasn't sure what to expect i did uh hear that it was quite uh sad for a vampire slash mm. slasher film and it definitely is i mean you're really just yeah. dealing with a guy that um has some you know very deep-seated psychological issues and and josh you bringing up the fact that it might actually not be literal uh didn't come into my head uh when I was watching it the first time i was I think it was just because of those small lines where he's having conversations with uh his uh, cousin and they're talking slight specifics like uh I think at one point they mentioned an eighteen ninety two date or something like that, but once again, it still doesn't prove anything you know this this could just be a, a belief yeah. that they have and I really like now. Uh, thinking back on the film, thinking it could be either or, where it's it's also a, a play on the genre itself and how uh, how they would film those kind of movies. I think that's a really cool idea, and, and I think he implemented that really well. Um, and yeah, and and you know, having Savini's just absolute amazing makeup uh, mm-hmm. uh, makeup artistry is great. Those like when he gets that stake in the chest and the blood just comes pouring <laughs> out of his out of his chest it fucking it's, flies it like hits oh the ceiling. yeah it's on un, it's unreal there's just such <laughs> oh, yeah. pain in that shot and and anger and sadness and yeah it's 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 really good so yeah four out of five um i i'm definitely gonna be revisiting this probably a bunch of times so mm-hmm. comes yeah.
1: out on uh, 4k i think soon oh so
0: <laughs>
2: <to> <laughs> for 4K. uh for you jared yeah, speaking of fours, I would also give it a four out of five. Uh, <laughs> so I think I also gave it, I think it's what I gave it on Letterboxd. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, a very different movie than Tommy, but, but uh, uh, still, you know, made with a lot of intent and on a far smaller budget, and yet, like you guys are saying, just, you know, still pulled a lot of stuff off emotionally.
0: Yeah. um mm-hmm. both visually, still
2: very yeah.
1: thematically dense and very playful yeah and thematically the genre. yeah it's
2: like you know it, 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 it you know you created this this just really engaging character that you're scared of you pity you hate you yeah. you know it's like you feel a lot of things uh, and um its just you know that the actor they got the plane was great you know just, yeah we, we was, didn't even get to really mention yeah, that but he, he is like, good he,
1: he only <laughs> ever showed up in other romero movies
2: by the oh, looks damn. of it but he, he, he does look headshot, like a very troubled IMDb, young creep <laughs> his imdb headshot is like i guess just like a rotted corpse or something <laughs> it's like not even him it's like i guess a like a zombie or something Oh, did he play Zombies? Probably from Dad. He might might have played Zombies
1: in the Dawn of the Dead.
2: That's Um, hilarious. That's the headshot. That's great. (laughs) But, you know, he was, like, really good. Just, like, total, you know, he he gives, like, a look, and you're just like, uh, you know, like, it just puts you in, like, an unease. Yeah, it's a real Uh, sadness mm -hmm. to him. And yet, there's also a sadness to it. It's, like, it's it's telling a line that, you know, you feel like, you know, it's like one of those parts. Like, oh yeah, this is the dude who's meant for that part. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, he's perfect.
2: <sighs> and same for the the, co- the the cousin. That actor is great. Uh, yeah,
0: he has that very yeah, classic. Go deal. check out the
2: amusement park. Yeah,
0: he's yeah. Great I mean, Matt, you need know, to watch Matt, him right in, the in the amusement amusement park.
2: Um, I mean, really, everyone, all the delete Apparently, Romero's cameo is the the father. I totally didn't realize. There's the, the, the priest. priest. The, yeah, yeah. I totally didn't realize that when I was watching it. And then he's the one that I loves the that. exorcist, right? Yeah, because <laughs> I'm just not used to seeing him looking like you know, like a, like a, I guess like a, 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 a yeah, non, you know, yeah, a, a proper man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to say. How do I dance? How do I say it properly? You know, when he's not old. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, 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 I know. always like too, that he makes room to put Tom
1: Zavini in like most. Of yeah, his that's I, yeah. every
2: time I see him, every time I see Tom Zavini, I'm always like, that dude looks so familiar. And then I'm reading, and then I read, oh yeah, Tom Zavini. And I'm like, oh shit, that's why. <laughs> Again, because like he's I, a very I,
1: scary I, looking man. Yeah, he has <laughs> yeah,
2: like a very specific look. And I just always forget that it's him whenever he shows up. And I'm always just like, oh, that guy, I know that guy. Even though I should know it's Tom Zavini because usually he's showing up in like, you know. A horror movie
1: with gore. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to see that uh, Romero that he's in called Night Rider. I was just going like to mention him that. In, in 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 like warrior, <laughs> like n- medieval knight armor riding a motorcycle. Oh yeah, it's like so a. Awesome. Yeah, I and in, in terms of being, he's yet. not a small role. He's like second or third build in that movie. So he's got to oh, be nice. like like a pretty central character. Although I do think it's funny that after doing, you know, the the makeup work that he did for Romero, he started getting like really really good. Like that that's when he started getting the Friday the Thirteenth work that he got. That's when he got um, Maniac, which has some of his most iconic gore in it. And honestly, Martin cl- feels more like a Maniac than it does like a vampire movie, which is yeah. you know probably a good a good connecting point mm-hmm. too. So I need to see
2: Maniac. Yeah.
1: maniac <laughs> is disgusting <laughs> yes <I
2: bet.
1: laughs> but yeah i think that that wraps it up for um martin and that wraps it up for this week that was uh tommy and martin we got to know both these fellas oh yeah yep. uh, both troubled in their own ways both um, both, both, yeah. both both interacting with the cruelty of the outside world yeah but I'm, I'm glad i'm glad to know them i'm glad to add them to the catalog <laughs> yeah. um thanks so much um Jared, for for joining us and talking about these films with us. Oh, yeah, uh, thank got you got for inviting us um, yeah, of plug.
2: Fun. Oh while yeah, you're here. This is where we <laughs> have uh, you do that. Okay, yeah, plugs. All right, I got. It. I guess just 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 two. Uh, one, the movie that I'm in is coming out. Or well, I guess. But yeah, by the time this episode is out, I guess the movie will also be out. Uh, it's yep. called It Takes Three. It's a modernized high school update to like a Cyrano de Bergerac type story so it's like my character is uh, taking over another guy's social media so he can impress this girl that he has a crush on uh, and it's uh, the, the, the broad idea of the plot and uh, it's comedy so you know, hopefully you'll enjoy it, people enjoy it uh, awesome, check so, it out yeah uh and oh yeah and then i guess the other detail we shot it was shot four years ago um, okay oh god damn yeah <laughs> what's <laughs> it the pain are uh, gonna be I a little bit younger actually high, i was actually high school age when i when i worked on it so it's funny because like you know now i'm 22 and
0: <laughs> four How does years that feel later like looking at something uh, <laughs> that you've done four years ago and only like now it's being released is that something that you think about Well, yeah, no,
2: it's surreal. It's like, you know, because usually you film a movie and then the year later comes out, not four years later. And then, (laughs) so, you know, it's like, uh, I guess also, too, it's, you know, it's fun because I I had a genuine, I did genuinely have a good time working on that movie. So just like seeing it again, you know, brings it back. It's like bring, bring, brings back memory of just like brings back memories of just like being, you know, on that set with the casting and crew and, and enjoying their company and all that but Very it's cool. also like it's also makes me remember you know oh yeah that was me right before going to college I was super anxious about that shit just like <laughs> right. you know it was like just, it's also you know it's like uh uh just um you know it's like a little mini blast from the past but not that far back but like far enough back that like you know you feel something yeah like, yeah definitely I guess also you just with the blame. Yeah, I, mean, like, I don't, I don't know
1: how you guys do it cuz like I look at writing I did like 3 years ago and I'm like why did I write that? You yeah. were yeah. idiot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I did I, so, I did not
1: write the movie so. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, it's not, not what I meant. Sorry, I meant, no, I meant no, just I artists mean. in general, like having mean, to go sorry, back and, yeah. and, and, and look at work. Like this applies yeah, to Jamie that. too, because uh, right. Jamie is a musician, and you know sometimes his albums don't come out for many years after the fact, and by the time he's the yeah, it's actually coming out, he's kind of like, I don't know if I liked the <laughs> the work that I did there. Yeah, well, yeah no, I'm I get right. that. I. I... I, I understand even 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 if sure. the work is great it's just
0: you yeah know, it's no I you get know. it I, you know,
2: I'm also like I get that way too I'm yeah, like, yeah, you, you feel I'm, like you're trying, you know, you're
0: trying to progress all the time <laughs> so when you look it's like the, yeah, Star, there's, a like, reason, yes. there's a reason there's a reason
2: I, I emphasize that I enjoy watching like everyone else when I watch you know a movie that I'm in like I enjoy mm-hmm. watching you know everyone else and all the other elements that aren't you know me i guess
0: right right <laughs> like, I guess, yeah i imagine you'd have to focus more on your own character while you're filming it so when you're just watching a yeah. movie you can kind of engage with other things a little that more that too
2: that too you yeah. know it's also like that it's also that experience of like reminding myself oh yeah that's you know the context for you know what i was you know what my care what i was putting my character through i guess right right like, yeah that's uh, cool. uh, but but yeah uh so that's, uh, then I guess just the only other thing is just my Twitter. I don't know. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's at, at real Jared Gilman. I just post a lot of jokes and stuff. Uh, and, uh, but, cats. <laughs> yeah. And my cat. Yeah. Uh, well now it's just, you know, now I'm down to a couple cause I lost a couple this year, but, uh, no. yeah, no, yeah, no, it's okay. I'm, you know, uh, it was all very sad and, uh, you know, i'm still sad about it but like you know it's been a few months uh and then right you know life is moving on but uh, i'll admit it Nick, it does watching pig you know <laughs> that movie came out i was maybe the easiest mark for that movie right <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i had, like it i saw it like a movie. couple very weeks good. but i saw it, like a couple weeks after my cat died and i was just like oh god this is like <laughs> the of, you know <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, gotta gotta just uh, keep moving forward.
2: Yeah, uh, apparently. But um, anyway, I still got I, yeah. I still got a couple cats left. They're great. Nice. Yeah, we're we're big cat people.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for um for for joining us for our listeners. We're going to be back in one week's time, where um I believe there's supposed to be a new Clint Eastwood movie coming out called Cry Macho <laughs> that we are kind of anticipating here on the yeah, show. Hopefully. And we realized we we haven't um talked about clint eastwood's um directorial output yet somehow three years into the show i think we've talked about him once or twice uh, yeah. acting but we've never talked about his directing on this show so next week over on the patreon you can expect an episode on high plains drifter mm-hmm. from 1973 and the Josie Wales yet. from 1976 to um westerns that he directed i believe his second um, directorial output and then his fourth directorial output. He did some other films um, in between, including like The Eiger Sanction and uh, Play Misty for Me and stuff like that. But I really wanted to get into. Um Clint Eastwood as a director wrestling with his own screen persona that was yeah. kind of developed in the, in the sixties by the Italian, um, filmmakers. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that next week over again, patreoncom slash theseoids podcast for the uh, Clint Eastwood episode, an episode that our discord has been screaming for us to do for <laughs> like months. Um, and then the episode after that is going to be a, uh, special guest joining us to talk about one, uh, cat people i believe this nice. is the paul schrader cat people Ooh. um which i haven't seen uh but i've seen the original and i'm very curious um what uh paul schrader would do with that uh <laughs> spoiler kind of story. alert he probably then, makes it horny yeah i would imagine i mean the, the the poster is a woman who looks uh very moist on the cover <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a feeling that that's where Paul Schrader's going with that. But then the other film we're going to be talking about is one from 1987 called the hidden, which has, um, Kyle McLaughlin in it. And it's directed by a guy named Jack shoulder who did, um, the, uh, second nightmare on Elm street film, which is a really, uh, a, a really strange and kind of like after the fact reclaimed kind of film now. But like, I'm, I'm curious to see what that director, um, might've done. Um, elsewhere and also just interested to see uh, a movie with um kyle mclaughlin like that early i think i've Mm. only ever seen him in um david lynch stuff uh david lynch stuff yeah Uh so like i've seen him in blue velvet and then into his 90s stuff i've never i didn't see what else he did in the 80s so this looks almost like kind of like a like a a a horror science fiction like cop movie or something like that it it, it, it looks strange so i'm curious So we're going to have a lot of fun uh, talking about those two films in two weeks' time. But yeah, that being said, I think that wraps up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening, and keep it sleazy.
0: Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. (laughs) Yes.